0: Hi, and welcome to another edition of Bringing Hope to Alzheimer's. I'm Ann Frazier and I am sitting here with Lindsey Engel and she is with Brighton Hospice. So tell me a little bit about brighton hospice i know there's a lot of hospice companies right. tell me about brighton what you do for them and what makes brighton such a great hospice company yes
1: yeah. so like she said okay. i'm lindsey engel i'm the director of marketing for brighton hospice mm-hmm. of kansas and missouri um, we are newer to this area but we um, have been around for about 12 years in 11 different cities okay um, we are hospice rn owned and operated so she really had a vision for what she wanted hospice to be and where um, community standards were just not quite there. And so she went out and created her own thing 11 years ago and, and here we are growing and um, opening new sites all over. But um, as a whole, Brighton just really offers a more robust care model. Um, every single hospice that is out there gets reimbursed at the exact same rate. Whether they're nonprofit, for-profit, it's all reimbursed at the same exact rate. So really the question is, what is the company willing to do with that reimbursement to reinvest it in their patients. Um, And I think Brighton really does a great job of um, ramping up the amount of visits that we're able to do. Um, We're able to give CNA visits up to five days a week, which is amazing, um, especially for your home patients that are going through some caregiver burnout and really struggling with that, um, that piece. Um, nursing visits typically started about two to three times a week Um, we have all the fluffy stuff the massage therapy the aromatherapy as well Um, but I really think that our biggest focus is on the amount of care that we're able to give okay wonderful and what is your role with Brighton so I am the director of marketing so my main role is to create the relationships in our community um open up new referral sources um and also meet with these patients and their families to educate about what hospice is versus what what most people think hospice is mm-hmm. um and also making sure that their goals align with our goals um and get them the care that they need in in a really quick um, amount of time right so with my <clears throat> excuse me with my parents they had
0: we brought hospice in hospice was with us for about a year yeah and i know that a lot of people feel like hospice is brought in at the end of life like the last couple weeks or last month but actually that's that should not be the case right
1: so tell me a little bit about why that should not be the case so um you know years and years ago, that used to be hospice. Hospice was, you know, those last few days, those last few weeks. But Medicare has really seen the benefit of reducing those hospitalizations and getting involved in these patients' lives sooner um, rather than when it becomes an emergent situation. So I always say if I could go and change the word hospice tomorrow just to take that stigma away, I would. Um, Because when you hear that word, there's an immediate trigger that happens, especially um, in our older generations who that was, that's what hospice was. Um, but now there's just so much more to the benefit and, um, getting involved earlier rather, like I said, when it comes to these emergent kind of chaotic situations, um, it's, it's so much better. And the journey looks so much better. And we're able to almost see kind of, um, an uplift of our patients because they're receiving the care that they want. They're staying in their homes, which reduces the ability to maybe, um, you know, catch something else that's in the hospital that just kind of sends a a tailspin after Mm. tailspin. Everybody thrives in their own home and in their special environment, so our goal to keep them there, we do see um, patients that stay on for a year or longer as long as their main diagnosis is shown that there's still a decline there, that it's still progressing, we can keep these patients on a lot longer. Yeah. So. That's so, so important. Hospice was fantastic yeah. with my parents.
0: Um, they had social workers that would come in and check on me as the caretaker. Right. And uh, they came in and brought different activities for my parents. And... It was Christmas time, and she brought three books because there's myself and my siblings, and brought brought 'twas the night before Christmas because my parents were still able to to read that story and record their voices. So it's just hospice does a lot of really great things that right. helped us as a family, absolutely, and so and kind of held our hand as we walked through that journey. Right. Um, let's focus in now on uh, dementia, right. Alzheimer's, all dementias. Right. What would you say is the largest percentage i mean what is the percentage of people that you guys are involved with in hospice that have some form of dementia
1: um quite a bit to be honest um there's always I feel like there's always something else going on similar to your parents. Sure. There was cancer involved, mm-hmm. um, but I see it more often than not. Mm-hmm. Um, and so 50%, 80%? Uh, maybe maybe around the 75% okay. have some form of dementia that we're dealing with. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. And that might not be their their main diagnosis, Sure. but it definitely adds in how to care for that person, um, how our approach is, you know, when our CNAs they are coming in and and maybe that person doesn't remember who they are there's a whole new approach that has to be brought in with how we care for them and so Mm -hmm. to take those kind of things into consideration is super important
0: okay good yeah do you guys have special training that you go through that really helps because dementia you know i know firsthand but for most people if they've not really sat down and and because someone with dementia will tell you oh i feel fine right but they're wincing or, right. you know, so what kind of training do does your, the staff go through and what do you see as far as that being able to help in, in, in dealing with, with loved ones and, and with family members with, with, with dementia? Okay.
1: Right. So there's a lot of different trainings um, and ongoing education that comes in um, to play. We're looking for, um, we train on looking for facial grimacing we're looking for different body language with those patients um you know we do ha- with a lot of our dementia patients, we deal with a lot of refusals of care. Um, We're working through talking through those situations. How do you create that trust Mm -hmm. with a person that you're almost having to introduce yourself to every time you you see them? How do you create that trust? Because those cares have to be done, right? We can't have a missed visit every single time. So working through those challenging situations and then um, knowing how to not trigger certain behaviors. Um, All of that is ongoing. Um, and it's repetitive but it works um, there's even a component where um, taking into consideration our VA patients who maybe have really been so- through some life-altering um, experiences sure. and how to how to work through that we I'll never forget we had um, a patient that was okay. triggered by um, by seeing the nurse's bag, we, the nurse had this big bag. He was triggered because, to him, when we got the background about you know where he had been, he was triggered by seeing that bag as a body bag, and so he was right back into a war scene. And we didn't understand what it was until we got to the family. We said, "Hey, you know, this is well, this is what he thinks that is." Um, and so, working with our team, like let's leave our bag outside the door let's work on whatever doesn't trigger this patient mm-hmm. and allows us to care for him best. Right. So there's just so many little nuances and every patient is different. So if you have a kind of a standard of what it should look like or different, you know, tools in your pocket to get mm-hmm. through those situations, it's 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 the best for everybody. So. Right. That's good. I love to hear about that because it is such a different
0: demographic so to mm-hmm. speak than someone that is aware of what's going on and understands pain and understands where they're at Um, because that's kind of the big thing is for people to call in hospice like like we said um, people think that that means it's it's time your time is over almost right Right. how long do you guys typically like in in a perfect scenario right someone is ill how long would you get involved and stay involved because like let's say it's a terminal illness whether it is Alzheimer's, dementia, um, coupled
1: with something else. Right. What's a perfect scenario for you? So regulation states that if a person is giving a, given a terminal diagnosis, it's a six-month or less prognosis. However, none of us have a crystal ball Right. what that looks like. So I can say that someone has six months tomorrow, and you know, a year, a year and a half from now, they're still here. Mm-hmm. Um, we have... Um, kind of a research period that goes every 90 days. And so we have to just look at our documentation and say, yes, this person still qualifies. Okay. Best case scenario is when we're with these families for that eight to 12 month range. Mm -hmm. That's the best case scenario where things are still progressing. We're able to give the patient time. We're able to give that family time and really prepare them for the end of life giving them all the quality that we can mm-hmm. um keeping them in the home and versus the hospital stays the skilled rehab stays you know rinse and repeat that's that's right. what we see Um, nine times out of 10 with the patients that we we get referrals on Mm -hmm. is they've been through so much by the time that they get to us that they're just tired. And so is the family. The Mm -hmm. family's providing the rides back and forth. They're sleeping on the couch in the hospital. They're all tired. Mm -hmm. So let's wrap our arms around them and let's give them the best um you know the best time that they have left Mm -hmm. Uh, but that that 8 to 12 month i feel like you can accomplish so so much and all of our team gets to be there they get the social worker they get the chaplain they can add on some of you know the massage therapies and that kind of stuff during that time um but when you have that quick two weeks you're trying to fit all of those visits in such a short amount of time. And everybody's trying to say, you know, everything that they need to say and get out before. And it's just, it's not enough, it's mm-hmm. not enough. And mm-hmm. it, it breaks your heart sometimes. Mm-hmm. Right,
0: right. Um, with with people who have dementia and Alzheimer's, mm-hmm. what is, is because as we know, that's a family disease. It's affecting mm-hmm. the entire family. Mm-hmm. Do, most of the people that you see have a loved one sitting alongside them who's able to help um, talk about what's going on and able to really give you, you know this is what they've been doing or or do you see people that they don't really have someone in their family?
1: For the most part, um I'd say the demographic of this area, we do have a lot of caregivers, and there's at least one. There might be siblings that live out of state. Um, but there's one primary caregiver for the most part there are those ones that just don't they have the building that they live in and it's it becomes that becomes their family Mm -hmm. um and that becomes their voice which is it's it's sad Mm -hmm. um but those are almost the ones that need us even more yes um because you do become these you do become their family right um but i'd say the majority in this area um in particular we we see Mm -hmm. that they do have that caregiver and um there's a piece of that where, with this specific um, diagnosis, we have to deal with those families in a different way because some of them are already grieving before that patient even passes. They're grieving the loss of of mom knowing who who she is. Mm-hmm. They're grieving these losses of not remembering, you know, significant milestones. Mm-hmm. They're already going through that grieving and loss process before that patient goes. Mm-hmm. And so there's a lot of um Support that we can give that caregiver mm-hmm. prior to if we're able to get in there. Yes. Earlier. Which is what we experienced. Right. Which was fabulous. Yeah. So wonderful. Anything else you want to say about hospice care? Um, I would just keep on hammering that breaking the stigma of, you know, the H word and really um, encouraging those who are going through, um, especially, you know, mm-hmm. diagnoses like dementia and Alzheimer's to reach out and and just get that piece of education anyone can call a local hospice company just to get that information it does not have to go through a doctor it does not have to go through the hospital for you to be able to pick up the phone and just ask questions paint the picture of what's going on in your home and let's see how we can help whether it's hospice services home health palliative there are a lot of community resources that we're all connected to so that would be my encouragement is to let's get past that h word and find out and dig for what it really is and find out what's available to you. Right. Because it is actually easing the burden right,
0: for the family and the loved one. Right. Because like I said with, with my parents, um, just being able to make my mom more comfortable because she was not able to say she was in pain, but she was in much more pain than we actually realized until hospice got involved. So um, thank you for what you do. Yeah. I It's, it's, very needed. It's not always the the kind of situation where you want to meet people, right. but it is very much needed. And um, I know you guys do a great job over there. So well, thank you very much for yeah. inviting me. Absolutely. Yeah. All right. We will see you all next time. Thanks so much for tuning in.